Welcome back to season two of Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. On his recent trip to Perth, Australia, Jonathan made a guest appearance on the Inverse podcast hosted by Jared McKenna and David Andrew. It was a surprising sweeping conversation on the global Pentecostal movement, where it comes from, where it is going, and the spirit of the future that is breaking into the present even now. We loved this time with our Aussie friends, and we felt like it was worth sharing with you today. Enjoy. I think what would be really great to talk about is how Pentecostalism has evolved a little bit Mm. to where we are now. Uh, Namely, what happens when Pentecostals start to read outside of their tradition Mm. and bringing uh, different flavors of the body of Christ into their practice? And uh, maybe talk about your journey and how that uh, outworks in your life. Well, the sweet one-liner that Dave had earlier is what happens when Pentecostals read. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I still think it's amazing. (laughs) It is amazing. Um, <laughs> no, there's, it's, that, that really is a great question or questions. You know, I think I would start with this. Um, I really believe that Pentecostalism rightly understood is a renewal movement for the broader body of Christ. Mm. And mm. that the point really was never for it to be a sect on its own where, you know, certain Christians have a kind of. Holy Ghost merit badge that others don't have. It's supposed to be a renewal movement for the whole church. And yeah. I think the what the Pentecostal movement is supposed to do ideally is to help the entire church, capital C, recognize the ways in which she is already Pentecostal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the yeah. the uh, the gift of Pentecost is the birthright of the whole church. The day of Pentecost is the birthday of the whole church. So mm. my which I know in and of itself, there's a lot of evolution in that. Uh, in that response, you know, is that I, uh, you know, I'm thinking about Pentecostalism as something beyond sort of the tribal markers of it. In terms of its evolution, um, there's a great academic book uh, Steve Land wrote, it's very influential to me, called Pentecostal Spirituality, A Passion for the Kingdom. Mm. And the basic thesis of that book is that the first 10 years of the movement define the heart, not the periphery of what the movement is. So I think like the first 10... And, and within the first 10 years of the movement is where you have everything from, you know, the radical uh, racial equality. Women are preaching and um, the Pentecostal church from the beginning is uh, is a peace church. Mm. All Pentecostal churches really were peace churches. That doesn't really shift until World War II, roughly. Yep. Um, yeah, so wow. there's kind of radical peace roots to it. Mm. Where the story gets really complicated is... And there's a short and long way to say this. To kind of go in between, I would say that I think Pentecostals, more or less via just social location, rub elbows a lot with garden variety fundamentalists. So they sort of act more like them and want to be accepted more by like by them mm-hmm. in ways that compromise some of the radical character of the early movement, yeah. which shows up in, uh, I mean, you know, th- th- there's plenty of racism in the early Pentecostal movement and not... <laughs> Not long after the beginning, really. This, that becomes a whole strand, and mm. people back off of the peace church roots, all of that, um, you know, to the point to where you, you at, at certain moments, and one can even argue in North America, this is the case now, 
Pentecostalism can look like, basically, uh, and I really don't mean this as a, well, yeah, just fundamentalists who speak in tongues. That's, yeah. what, that's what it can look like. Yeah. Yeah. It's what it can be. But I don't think that's what it is. And, mm. when, you know, even going back to Steve Land's thesis, when I talk about Pentecostal spirituality, you know, I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about that expression. In the same way that I think, actually, when you talk yeah. about any tradition of the church, yeah, you yeah. should look at what what's at its best as opposed mm-hmm. to yeah. at its worst. And, um you know, so, uh, and I do think, actually, I would want to say, well, I said that about North America, you know, around the world right now, the Pentecostal movement continues to explode and it continues to be led by mm-hmm. women. And it still is, I would want to contend, uh, racially, the most integrated expression of the yeah. body of Christ that yeah. exists. And it's very much the future of the church. And especially when we think about the, you know, kind of the global South and we think about Africa and we think about in, in Asia, you know, like this is what, this is the movement still that's very much, you know, sweeping, sweeping the world. I think we're at an interesting crossroads, though, now, because I think that, you know, the character of the Pentecostal movement in North America is very different from the character of the Pentecostal movement around the world. Yeah. And, mm. uh, and, and unfortunately, uh, Pentecostal, Pentecostalism in America, as it is a lot of things in America, tends to be broadly influential. <laughs> yeah. Right. We export yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, and yeah. I see that when I travel. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised and nervous, uh, you know, when I travel different places in Pentecostal circles, at how much like home it can it can yeah, feel well, like in the ways the that McDonald's don't effect. That's right, the McDonald's effect, to be yeah. sure. Yeah. So that long answer to the question, but I think like you know, so but yeah, but I but I think though I do think that that especially now where I'm hopeful is that you see, I'm I know there are exceptions to this, but I'm shocked at this point how pervasive the impact and influence of the Pentecostal and charismatic movement is in almost all quarters of the church, in the Catholic church, mm. in Anglican churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, this, and, and the thing for all the stuff that's very frightening about the day in which we live, the thing I'm actually most excited about is I think the lines have never been more blurred than they are right now mm. between different expressions of the body of Christ. Yeah. And that, to me, is a wonderful thing, that so many people in more liturgical traditions and mainline traditions are open to the movement of the spirit and that there's, you know, there's kind of a moving in. I think that's the way it was always intended to be. You know, mm-hmm. again, if you think of Pentecostalism as a movement for the whole church. I want to ask you about the shadow side of Pentecostalism, but before I do, um, to, to name some of the Pentecostal reality in uh, Australia and some of its roots, like 14 different denominations, Pentecostal denominations in Australia started by women. Wow. A movement amongst the poor. Yeah. A, a movement um, that empowered women at a time when women weren't empowered in other places in society. And this in a country that was the second nation in the world to actually give women the vote. Wow. Um, while that is true, Pentecostalism, whether it was a nervousness or a sense of insecurity intellectually, um, uh, feeling maybe bullied by other movements, look to fundamentalism in its reaction to German liberalism and use terms like inerrancy mm, and yeah. infallibility, um, uh, the panic mm-hmm. around science <laughs> and um, uh, that somehow we've got to go to the, the, the holy scriptures, the sacred texts, which have animated um, for us, um, uh, the life and the story that we are to take part of in yes. Christ, and turned it into a scientific text mm. to do what is never we've never looked f- for it to do right. ever before in history. Um, for for those who are completely unaware, because Dave, would it be too much to say that a lot of people in Pentecostal denominations in Australia don't know what a P- Pentecostal is, right? 
Well, I, I was hoping that we could actually get your definition and get your definition of what Pentecostalism is mm. so that we can kind of just up front go, we're going to be talking about this. This is what the term tends to mean because you, mm. I think the assumption is quite, um, it's quite wide. Yeah. Like it's quite an un, undetermined thing, especially from the place that I come from. You don't sign up to be a Pentecostal. Yeah. You come to the cool church with flashing lights and then unpack what that means. So it's not yeah. like you don't make a choice mm-hmm. out of theology. You make a choice because because the beauty of Pentecostalism is that you encounter yep. a living God. Yeah. So because you've come to a place of encounter, the theology isn't what you sign up for. It's the yeah. encounter. And then from that place, when you unpack what you have been signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I find fascinating what you were saying about Pentecostalism being a renewal movement. Yeah. Because um, some of the greatest Pentecostal thinkers I know are those who have actually been formed by other traditions yes. and have come alive. Absolutely. And some of the wow. greatest people from other traditions are no wow. leading and interesting people are Pentecostals who took that experience and found a deeper container. Yeah. yeah. What I'm interested in is how do we not, um, and what was Paul Alexander's book that we both contributed oh, to? Oh, uh, yeah, I can't remember the title yeah. off the top of my head right now. Either. But what I was arguing Pentecostals and Peacemaking? Yeah, I think it was. Or Pentecostals and Nonviolence. Okay. Was that it? Um, that actually w- what is needed is deeper containers. But mm-hmm. do you want to go first? No. In terms of Pentecostal. So for me, Pentecostalism, Dave, is a is a story. Um, so I can't talk about Pentecostalism without talking about one-eyed Willie Seymour with his apple crate turned over and his head inside it as he prays for revival in the church in a part of L.A. Yeah. where um, it has no recruit in larger society. It's the dodgy side of town. Mm. And here you have race mixing, quote, unquote, mm. 50 years between, before Rosa Parks will ever sit down on a bus to challenge segregation. And people are voluntarily breaking down those boundaries because of a hunger for the spirit and power of God. And in the midst and the aftermath mm. of that, you see women realise that they are called to preach. Um, uh, poor people actually find dignity, uh, people who had no purpose, people being freed from patterns of alcoholism and drug abuse and mm. um, and, and people actually finding um, dignity and destiny yeah. in th- this message that God is not a set of abstract constructs but actually the the power of god is here to set you free from patterns that don't look like what god has for all of creation that we see fully in christ and that that power is a story that spread like wildfire um but that fire has been contained in such ways uh because it burnt a whole heap of people because Mm. there weren't containers for it um and pentecostal um uh, approaches often is in the aftermath where it's like, okay, I've had what you've called like an encounter. How do I find a container to kind of explain it? And yeah. I think, again, and part of the importance of Jono's leadership in this kind of stuff is providing um, uh, more beautiful and faithful containers that don't throw out um, the best of all that's got to offer but bring it into something which um, uh, has the beauty and the maturity to turn people into humble followers of the one who reveals love instead mm. of wacky kind of charlatans <laughs> yeah. um, with cheap tricks that um, would otherwise done be done by psychics on TV. Mm. Um, 
You want to have a go, Jono? Like, well, I love everything you're saying. I don't feel like I could prove on it. I, I, and I probably would prefer your way of defining it over any in terms of the idea of Pentecostalism as a story. I think that's the right way to say it. I think mm-hmm. Pentecostalism is very much storied and is a story for Pentecostals. It's a story that starts with Acts 2 in the upper room. Um, you know, the Azusa Street and Willie Seymour, as you talk about, is a scene, all that scene is an, is an extension of that story. So I think if you think about Pentecostalism as a, well, I do think it's a renewal movement for the broader body of Christ, uh, like as a, as a particular expression, I think all that's right. I think, you know, if I wanted to go a little bit broader with it, it would just be to say, I would say that actually, I think being Pentecostal is a, is a way of being in the world with God in which the Holy Spirit is, is central to everything else. Mm-hmm. And because really it's a, I think for Pentecostals and, and not in a way that I, while this can be played out in an unhealthy way, I still think it's very much the strength of the movement. You know, everything begins and ends with, with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's dynamic. It's not static. It's lively. Uh, there's, a, there's a lively exchange with God and with others. And um, it, it, there's, Sons and daughters prophesy. Everybody gets to play. Mm. Authority rests on whoever the Holy Spirit is moving on. I think yeah. you know. So it's just you know. It's just, so I think in that sense there are these. There's these central kind of Pentecostal practices that that anybody can practice. You know, mm. I think in terms of especially when we think about the gifts of the Spirit and that understanding of the the dynamism of the Spirit wherever they are, which is why well, part of what makes it so beautiful. Because I do think it's very possible that you might not be part of a card-carrying Pentecostal local church and be deeply Pentecostal in practice, be deeply Pentecostal in expression. Because I think, it's a, again, it's a way of being in the world. It's not a set. Now, it gets, some people have tried to define it this way, but it's a mistake. I, I think it's not a set of doctrinal commitments. <laughs> of course, I don't think that's true about much of any mm. Christianity. Really, it's not meant to just be a set of doctrinal because, yeah. you know, yeah. Pentecostals, and I don't, I don't want to skip into your part about the shadow side. I don't think this goes too far into it. Like, I, no, I can go there. But like, well, I was saying, yeah. some Pentecostals can be so dogmatic about, like, tongues as initial evidence, et cetera. Yeah. It's fascinating to me that a, lot, that a lot of that language doesn't really get hardened in the movement until around the 1940s. Yep. Because it, it, after a while, as people do, yeah. a lot of, like, I come from the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, which was quite anti-creedal, actually. Mm. <laughs> but then by the time they, they that we decided, like, oh, we need our own creed, we need our own whatever, then you start getting into doctrinal formulations, and it's like, do you believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking tongues? Yeah. Even the language of initial evidence mm. is not very Pentecostal language. Yeah. It sounds so scientific. It yeah, sounds wow. rationalistic, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, like it, it, that's the language of proof that yeah. it, it doesn't, you know, and so mm-hmm. I think even some of that stuff, it's not, not the end of the world. I mean, I think tongues, for example, is an, a really important marker of the movement. I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, as a sign, all that, it's wonderful. I, you know, I would want, I, I don't want to downplay that, in it, but I don't like the idea that then Pentecostalism becomes just another doctrinal yeah. construct. Yeah. Do you yeah. agree with these ideas? Yeah, yeah. Because Pentecostalism is not idea oriented religion that's part of what makes it you know gives it such a revolutionary character yeah. is that you know it's 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 more located in the body and in the gut and in the heart for sure yeah. than it is in the head though i think part of the beauty of the time that we're living in even the kind of questions you're asking is certainly we're it's good and right for heart and head to be integrated yeah. but yeah. it is a much more bodily physical expression and feminist uh pentecostal australian scholar uh dr jacqueline gray she talks about 
one of the gifts that is present in the Australian expressions of Pentecostalism is the gift of mercy. And that that was one of the distinctives of the movement was the gift of mercy and how that was played out in places that other people weren't prepared to go. Um, uh, Work in the Red Cross uh, section of Melbourne at a time when no one would would go there. And that's part of the forgotten. So people tend to think um, there's a tent revival somewhere and freaky things um, happening instead of um, people are being filled with a spirit that Mm. sends them into the places that others wouldn't go with the people that everybody writes off to serve them, to love them and to tell them that they have a dignity that they couldn't see and the rest of society denied them. Mm. That is a Pentecostalism that I'm in for. But in terms of these um, ridiculous, if you don't speak in tongues and you don't have the spirit, count me out. Right, absolutely. I'm not a Pentecostal at that. (laughs) So the charismatics can have me then. Yeah. Um, Because I love that stuff. That stuff has been so central for me. But if that is a a ridiculous identity marker, we turn tongues into a work to receive the goodness of God's grace. And that is absolutely ridiculous and doesn't make sense of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is about the inclusion of Gentiles who everybody said not them. (laughs) You look at the history of Pentecostalism in Australia, it went to the people who were not them. They couldn't get in. And those people, and then the response always is, is, oh, don't worry worry about, quote, unquote, water baptism. No one says that. Mm -hmm. It's what's to keep them from being baptised. When we play down the sacrament of baptism and the seal of the Holy Spirit that is promised in Scripture in the waters for um, just an experiential um, upgrade, which is how it sounds um, behind some pulpits, we have turned Pentecostalism into a form of legalism. And we've turned water baptism into like an empty hoop to jump through so God is happy. And in doing so, this is the thing that really concerns me. We take the power of the Holy Spirit, which shows us who the mystery of God is in Christ, and turn God into somebody who can give you these nice spiritual highs, but at the end of the day needs you to jump through these whole heap of hoops. I love everything you're saying. It cannot be, we got the spirit. Yes, we do. We got the spirit. How about you? It cannot be like there. <laughs> the idea of Pentecostalism creating any kind of an us and them. See, as yeah. much as I'm very comfortable talking about the particular practices that form Pentecostal communities on the ground and, you know, those, those practices that are more distinctive, like, that's good. That's great. But I mean, if you think about it, when, I think if you go back to the book of Acts, like all early Pentecostals would, if that's the source, if that's the God book, like how on earth could it, what does the Holy Spirit do if not unite the church, bring the people of God together, fulfill ultimately the prayer Jesus prayed in John 17, that all Christians would be one. The idea that somehow that that spirit would be given to the church for the sake of setting one sect over against another is absurd. And it's why I can't hardly talk about the Pentecostal movement as as an expression without talking about the broader connection to always say like, but this is for the whole church. This is for the broader body of Christ. Nobody in any particular denomination or expression is left out of this. So that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does. As you said, it's always a move towards 
inclusion and to everybody having a voice and everybody being able to play. So yeah. whenever it turns into like that sort of smug, we have we have God, we possess something of God in a way that other Christian communities do not, I get so uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm. And so my experience with Pentecostalism, my definition of Pentecostalism growing up would have been not that, or so not boring, not Anglican, not, it would have been this reactive framework mm. um, that I kind of grew up knowing. And so what makes me Pentecostal? Oh, I, I guess we speak in tongues. But mm. primarily it was the fact that church for me was meant to be Oh, we're, we're vibrant and we're exciting. You know, we're, we're not like that praying from a prayer book. We're not doing that. Yeah. So that was yeah. kind of my framework mm. of like, what is Pentecostalism? Oh, we're the exciting ones. Right. And we sing love songs to Jesus. and Which I love. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> yes. but, it, but it tended to be a bit of a reactive framework. Yeah. Um, which, again, is that's not, that's not healthy. That's not the roots right. of who we are. Yeah. That's right. You know, and, um, and so I think growing up, um, for, so, we're, I mean, we ragged on, you know, Pentecostalism as, you know, what happens when Pentecostals actually read a book. Um, but we're all card-carrying Pentecostals. Like, sure. this comes from within. It's not yeah. like an attack. I mean, Rome. Um, if you'll have me, because it's not where <laughs> I've grown up. And my experiences we'll didn't f- fit elsewhere. And that's why. Yeah. Yeah. So literally my experiences um, that didn't fit elsewhere uh, where I'd um, come to Christ. And I yeah. showed up in places where those experiences were welcome mm. in terms of visions, yeah. uh, in terms of tongues, in yeah. terms of interpretation experiences uh, in terms of words of knowledge all that kind of stuff but there was all this crazy prosperity stuff as well (laughs) there was all this crazy like authoritarianism yeah Yeah. so the very place where there was freedom in the spirit there was no freedom for people to be free in the spirit and Mm. that was very difficult for these experiences of holy spirit is why i got involved with homeless people Mm. literally I can show you journals of like this stuff is what sent me to those places. And that's why finding this history meant so much to me. I'm like, these are my people. I I thought like it was. um, Yeah. So I think that is part of the the confusion that many people kind of have. Yeah. And I I think you're right to, to, it's good that we define it because you will find a lot of people who, well, why am I Pentecostal? It's because we're this, you know, and within my tradition, Mm. Definitely and so. if I could chime in just on that, I think what you get, and I feel like this is true about, I mean, it's true about anything, not just Pentecostalism, but, you know, the, the promise and the peril is always the same thing. But I, I think, Jared, what you identified there gets at the beauty and the danger of the Pentecostal movement equally is that it's misfit religion. It's always mm-hmm. been misfit religion. Mm-hmm. That's who it's for. Mm-hmm. Pentecostalism, rightly understood, I think, is has always been for the outcast. It was yeah. always socioeconomically, it was always poor. Uh, it was people who didn't have influence or power in worldly terms. Yeah. And that that's what's so great. It's like this, you know, I I, I think about Flannery mm-hmm. O'Connor's um, great short story, Revela- uh, Revelation, the kind of like the misfits in the sky, like that. Hmm. That's my image of Pentecostalism, the misfit yeah. parade. That's what I love. But the the flip side of that is that you can't allow... You can't allow room for the Holy Spirit to move in an authentic way without also allowing room for the craziness. Yeah. To, to, ha- to have space for one is to have space <laughs> yeah, for the yeah, other. Yeah. yeah. And which is why I think people rightly have conflicting impulses here. I mean, I always think about uh, not to get too biblical on y'all, but even in the book of Corinthians, <laughs> you know, where Paul, but this is this whole podcast is about the Bible. Um, when Paul in Corinthians, addresses the fact that, you know, people in within the church of Corinth are abusing speaking tongues. It's all they want to do. 
new people coming to the community. Everybody's talking in tongues. They can't understand anything. Paul specifically goes out of his way. He does it. He tells them that it's supposed to be orderly. People should speak in tongues one at a time, etc. That on the whole, that prophesying to speak in words that people can can that can be understood is better than words that aren't understood. But he specifically then comes around to say, but forbid not. King James language there, forbid not to speak in tongues. Like, you know, abuse isn't supposed to lead to no use. Mm, but yeah. I think even what Paul does there in Corinth for me is, is, is still very instructive that you have to allow room for the craziness. And when things are off the tracks, that's not the end of the world. It's just an opportunity to teach and to grow as a community. Yeah. But still, you know, there is risk involved. Yes. <laughs> There's always yeah. risk. Yeah. And if you're going to allow room for God to move in a supernatural way, if you're going to allow room for anybody and everybody to find their voice, to be able to speak to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual song, mm. and songs, then inevitably, you're going to allow room for some weirdness, too. It's going to happen, yeah. you know? And yeah, I think, yeah. and I understand why people um, deliberate is like, you know, they they want the, the sense of otherness, they want the reverence, they want the power, but do we want space for this kind of wackiness? Mm. And you know, again, to, to say yes to one, I think, means you kind of have to say yes to the other. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll allow room for the fact that sometimes, of course, there's going to be a human element to this. And, of course, yeah. it's not going to be <laughs> perfect all the time. <laughs> or, of course, it's going to be, like, messy. But it's yeah. it's worth it to provide space in which God can freely move in this yeah. way. Yeah, wow. I, see, I've grown up in frameworks of Pentecostalism that was a controlled mm. So we do this, we do this, here's a normal service, but then we create space to allow that to happen. So it's almost like a, let's, let's, let's keep the crazy in this segmented part. Yeah. And sometimes that would explode open mm. and that was cool. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, just that's been my experience of like, here we go, it's a run sheet in time for well, that's right. when the spirit's going to talk. Okay, cool. Right. That's good. Yeah. And, and part of that was in reaction to... <laughs> Because when you when you because have electricity when yeah. you have electricity and you've seen some people die because mm. of the yeah. power of electricity, you you start to create some rules around it. Yeah, right. And some people like make sure that the cables are correct and all the rest, and other people just turn the power off. Yeah, yeah. And sure. um, one of the ways that people created um, uh, after some of the craziness um, was a whole heap of legalism. Mm. And so now we're starting to get into the, some of the shadow stuff that if if there aren't containers, and maybe the containers are, look, we've got our average Aussie pagan mates that are coming on a Sunday and, um, you know, it, it's not going to be edifying and it, it's going to freak out. So instead, this is a space that it happens on Wednesday night small group or um, even the, after the altar call in ministry time or whatever. Yeah. That, that was one way of actually going, we've got a safe container, and I'm yeah. all for safe containers. Me too. Another way was just creating crazy legalisms where it's about mm-hmm. don't go to the movies. Um, uh, oh, John, do you want to speak a little bit to some of the the cool. dangers of legalism? And Because people desire safety, right? Like mm-hmm. they desire, and with this kind of craziness, one way to do that is to make up a whole heap of rules mm-hmm. so people can... Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, the the Pentecostal movement really is a direct extension of the holiness movement. You don't have one without the other. It has very Wesleyan roots and specifically roots within Wesleyan holiness, Mm. which meant, you know, Wesleyan holiness too. I'm a big fan of that movement, but like everything else, promise and peril. So it inherited 
the same dangers that came with the holiness movement before its time in terms of, you know, it could become a, a real, there's so much of an emphasis on external dress. I mean, for some, my grandfather was a pioneering Pentecostal preacher. My dad is a preacher. And, you know, my grandfather's time and most of my dad's life has changed later, but it was very much women don't wear makeup or uh, wear jewelry and uh, they don't wear pants. They do wear dresses. <laughs> um, they uh, <laughs> progressive Pentecostals. Uh, you know, you don't go to the movies. Uh, you don't swim with the opposite sex. Uh, sports. You know, you don't play sports. My dad really? could, was not allowed to play sports. Sports wow. was considered worldly. Wasted hot. To, right, indeed. Like yeah. uh, cards, any kind of card playing, etc. And on the one hand, you know, all that is very understandable. I think, especially being a movement of the oppressed. I think finding that sense of like what it means to be set apart, you know, I think there's a lot of impulses that that were, you know, that were that good in in and of itself, but that do get bent in such a way to where you know it becomes another system of rules mm -hmm. and regulations that can become really constrictive. And I do talk to people every week of my life who have been very scarred by legalism within the yep. Pentecostal Church, and yep. people who are still needing therapy to kind of you know deal with with that. So that's you know that 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 danger that kind of risk is is real. Yeah. Wow. So uh, returning back to the thought about how what so maybe tell us your story of what happens when you grow up in this movement and then you start to read stuff from outside of your movement. How does that affect and change your practice? How does that affect and change the way that you believe was there a crisis of, of what you believe or like what did that look like for you personally if i couldn't have now there are a lot of lovely things about my upbringing and i tell these stories a lot mm -hmm. because i do feel like i had real encounters with the holy spirit that were beautiful and so i would never want to act like it was all bad but i will say that if i didn't get um, as I became an adult, a different version of Pentecostalism than what I grew up in in the American, more or less rural South, um, I would have walked away from the movement. And I thought I might, would, I thought I, I possibly would have had to. Mm -hmm. Because once I became more just awake, uh, kind of critically aware, asking hard questions about, you know, the normal stuff, I mm -hmm. started encountering science and scientific kinds of questions and yeah. philosophical kind of challenges to faith, the problem of evil, et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank. Yeah. Mm. When I started thinking that way as a teenager, I did not feel like I had space to ask those questions in my Pentecostal context. I did feel like that wouldn't have been okay. I wondered, can I, am I going to be able to, you know, do I have a future here? What mm. happened for me is that in my late teens, early twenties, um, a little bit before I came to seminary, I went, I have two master's degrees, and the first one is from the Pentecostal Theological Seminary, which is the Church of God School. I, I went to Duke after that. But um, especially coming into that seminary environment, I just, I came to encounter a, a kind of Pentecostalism I did not know existed. It was, there was such an emphasis on justice. There was such an emphasis on social justice, um, including Hard edge economic critique, mm. uh, which Jared would appreciate. Come on, uh, there was there uh, liberation theology wasn't those weren't dirty words, you know. Mm. Uh, there was uh, uh, the, the, a focus on integrating head and heart instead of compartmentalizing them or throw out head altogether. And there's no intellectual. I, they were just very different kind of Christians, and they were they were radical people, really. That those some of the. The Pentecostal scholars I came under in that time, oh, wow. uh, 
they, they lived out the radical edge of the movement. And I think coming to encounter some of uh, them, uh, w- there are many of them I could talk about. Uh, Cheryl Bridges Johns, mm. uh, people like Steve Land. Uh, but I'd say the person I'd most look to is kind of a spiritual father is a man named Ricky Moore. He's an Old Testament professor, you know, PhD from Vanderbilt, brilliant man, but man, he is a prophet. He studies the prophets and he wow. is a prophet. And Dr. Moore's tender pastoral heart as where as well as this kind of other, I mean this in the best sense of it, because he's very grounded, but there was an otherworldliness to him as well. Like yeah. there's, there's certainly somebody kind of marched to the beat of a different drum. And I think people like Dr. Moore, like that, that they salvaged my Pentecostalism and made me think I've got, there's space for me underneath this tent. Yeah. If I wouldn't have met them and wouldn't have come under that influence, and keep in mind, they are Pentecostal scholars who, mind you, I still find this fascinating to this minute. Some of the people who really influenced me have defined the Pentecostal movement ecumenically to people around the world, like you know, huh. Catholic scholars and yeah. Orthodox folks. They would look at these people as being the face of Pentecostalism. But within my church, and yeah. I don't mean this is not a slur, but like within Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, a lot of them were not honored at all. And there was almost this sense of like, you know, people were people were suspicious of that kind of training. So we didn't really listen to our scholars, yeah. but they're the people defining the movement outside <laughs> of our little world. So it's very yeah, interesting yeah. dynamic in yeah, that yeah. way. But it, but it was all them. It was those people and their stories that made me say, I need to stay in this. And I think I've got a, a place within this expression. Huh. That's, oh man, that's stunning. Wow. Um, so further on, moving on from that, um, what, what do you think some of the things are that we have gotten uh, either seriously wrong or seriously right uh, using the lens of encounter or using our Pentecostal lens mm. when we read the Bible? Mm. Um, what, are, what are some of the things that we have done? Hey, Dave, that's a great question. <laughs> it is a great question. Yeah. <laughs> I really love that question. Um, yeah, leading it back to the Bible and, and how we can you know, through that encounter lens. I think that ultimately Pentecostal Pentecostals get it so very right in terms of the primary access anybody has. And I, I know a lot of people would pick this statement apart. I'm going to say it like I really feel it, though. Um, I think Pentecostals get it beautifully right to understand that experience is kind of the, the primary and primal access point for anybody when it comes to the things of God. Like, like mm-hmm. that, that mystical encounter, mm-hmm. the very fa- the idea that the story of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that's so patriarchal now, it sounds like the God of Mary uh, all, all the way yeah. through, like that that God can be experienced in real time by the Spirit for anybody right here, right now, that presence can be accessed. I think they get that brilliantly right. I think where where we get it wrong and where it becomes dangerous is when encounter is understood primarily in terms of individual encounter detached from a community's experience of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. When it becomes completely, you know, there's no other framework beyond me and my own personal experience somehow apart from yeah. this shared experience of a people. Yeah, well, that, well, that, or, or, or even when you start to uh, isolate the Pentecostal experience uh, in, within Pentecostal communities outside of the experiences of other kinds of Christians within the broader church. You know, yeah. I think whenever it starts to become alienated and compartmentalized, that's when it mm-hmm. becomes dangerous. But the impulse is not wrong. 
that I, I think that that the experiential dynamic of you know following the Holy Spirit is kind of the first thing, the first impulse. I think that all that's good. Yeah. So what about things like um, about things like when, you know when we come to rapture, when we come to you know these are are these Pentecostal things? Are these things, or is it just me, Dave? Here's the surprising thing. No, no, they're not. Like so, that wasn't part of all. Pentecostal eschatology changed dramatically with the Second World War. So when Jono was talking about it being a peace church, a pacifist church, that mm. Pentecostals wouldn't take up weapons, it's because they had a certain eschatology. They believed that um, God's future had broken into their now and was present in their meetings, and that's why healings could happen. Mm-hmm. That, that's why um, uh, people could hear the voice of God. Uh, that's why the dead could be raised. That's why the blind could see. That's why the lame could be healed is because God's future was breaking in. So if God's future is breaking in, the peaceable kingdom is breaking mm-hmm. in, I am called to be a person of peace, so I've laid down my sword. That was Pentecostalism. Now, rapture theology. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm laughing because I, I know that you're, like, well on this train. I'm laughing because these were things that were, like, Pentecostalism for me, you know, the, the speaking in tongues, the, the rolling around on the floor, these have been like our party tricks. These are like, these are these are the cool things. Rather than actually going on, no, no, Pentecostalism isn't these party tricks. Pentecostalism is this radical thing. So for me to go, I'm learning now that that's my that's my heritage. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And this is when the, the significance of um, Jono starting the, yeah. the story in Acts two, right? Yeah. Instead of me starting it in like the early twentieth century. Mm. To to bring Pentecostalism back to Pentecost, we need a spirit filled economics. That yeah. means that the spirit falls on everyone. Expect tongues of fire. And the aftermath is it you share all you have, so no one's in need. Yeah, that's Pentecostal economics. Yeah. But the, so the but the am I right in calling it um, the inaugurated eschatology of it all? <laughs> Words I can't spell, but sure. Like, like I mean, the, f- find a language that helps. Sure, M- many, no, no, but as in like that, the kingdom has broken in here and that's right. now. Yep, that um, to me seems radical because because yeah. what I knew of Pentecostalism is like let's go to left behind and we're going to be like. Sucked up back into heaven, and then we're, you know. Jono, when did that stuff actually take hold in mainstream? <laughs> so here's the thing. I think you're right that some of this gets hardened around the Second World War, but I do think it starts a lot earlier. Really? Well, well, before. Okay, so here's the thing, right? You're you're absolutely you're 100 right that that kind of dispensational eschatology is not central to the early movement. But I think again, by kind of proximity to other sort of fundamentalists. It does come in fairly early. What here's what happens. So the Schofield Study Bible, mm. which uh, is the Schofield, by the way, who was not a theologian. He was a lawyer and he thought in a very lawyer-like fashion. He the tech, everything's very ordered. There's a really neat grid. Uh, a disastrous grid, in my opinion. Mm. I I detest the Schofield Study Bible. If you read those notes, as I did, and I'll get to that in a minute, the very fact that I was reading those notes is interesting. <laughs> but the Schofield Study Bible will tell you that the Sermon on the Mount uh, has no application for Christians now, essentially, because that's you know the way that the world looks like in the millennial kingdom. The oh, Schofield yeah. Study Bible, like any sort of fundamentalist dispensationalist, teaches that the gifts of the Spirit passed away with the death of the apostles. So, you know, and tongues. Can you see how those two things are connected? Disregard the Sermon on the Mount disregard the Holy Spirit. Yes, absolutely. So 
Mm. If you disregard the teachings of Jesus, you have done away with the Holy Spirit. And if you do Correct. away with the Holy Spirit, you will do away with the teachings of Jesus because spirit-filled living is Christ-like living yes. to the glory of the first person of the Holy Trinity. Mm. And why, why that's so connected is that if you don't have Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, you have no need for the Holy Spirit because yep. it's a life that can be lived without that power. Yep. You don't need the power yep. that, I mean, that, that, that Jesus carried by the Spirit if you're not attempting to live out the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, <laughs> what, yeah. what, 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 you don't need power for that. Yeah. So what happens is that uh, the huh. Schofield Study Bible System, which, you know, again, that whole idea, gifts have passed away, signs and wonders, whatever. A man named Finnish Jennings Dake um, rises to prominence in the Pentecostal world he puts out a Bible that was held in deep reverence. But my grandfather preached almost every sermon of his life using his Dake Study Bible, you know. The Dake Study Bible basically takes the Schofield system and mediates it to Pentecostal. So it takes the, the dispensationalist eschatology, but says we do believe in that signs and wonders didn't pass away with the apostles, and it translates that. Thus, all the churches that I grew up in brought in brought in the kind of end times preachers who had graphs and charts and who talked about the rapture. Mm. And it was absolutely central to how they thought about the world. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that for much of probably even the larger segment of, of the history of the Pentecostal movement, I, I don't like saying this, but I think it's still probably technically true. I think more Pentecostals than not have believed in that kind of eschatological mm. system. And yeah. now it's so mixed in like with the movement to where yeah. that becomes very confusing to people. Like a lot of folks are surprised when I tell them I'm a Pentecostal who doesn't believe in any of that kind of dispensationalism yeah. because the Pentecostals they've known have believed in it mm. and preached it as, and preached the rapture, uh, the, uh, you know, premillennial rapture and all these things as fiercely as they would Acts chapter 2, you yeah. know. So it, it does need to be acknowledged that that is what a lot of people's experience of the movement has been on the ground. But I think it also should be acknowledged that that's a compromised, watered-down uh, version of the movement that's yeah. not true to its radical history the way that Jared sure. was just talking about. And, and some of the complications of uh, Australia is actually that um, the influence of the reformed movement on Pentecostalism in Australia um, which would surprise in Assemblies of God, now Australian Christian churches, mean that in some parts that rapture stuff didn't take hold because of mm. a Calvinist influence, which um, that's, that's a great corrective to that kind of stuff is going that, nah, that stuff is rubbish. It, it's actually anti what God so loves that he sent to his son. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. But these see, these are things that I encounter now that I read books that aren't left behind. I grew up well within that. I, I grew up with Answers in Genesis in my school library. Mm. Wow. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I have That's a friend, I have a friend guy. whose uncle mm, right. is Ken Ham. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's an Aussie. He's an Aussie. He's, oh, I'm um, sorry about that. He's... And so, and so reading has uh, these concepts of like the fact that the Beatitudes is actually not about my experience and my prosperity, the Beatitudes are about a world changing, a system that confronts the world system. Mm -hmm. um, the things that as a Pentecostal have like transformed my faith because it wasn't about that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, as we close, uh, the question that I do want to ask is where do you think the Pentecostal church is heading? What's the future of the Pentecostal church? And we can edit. 
where is the Pentecostal movement headed? Yeah, what's the what's the what, or at least what do you hope to be the future of the Pentecostal church? Because I, um, I still love my movement. I still love yeah. this tradition that I'm a part of, especially now learning the roots of who we are. Mm-hmm. But what's the beauty that we can start to bring to the church of tomorrow? Well, I think that where the Pentecostal movement headed is headed for people like me who are from North America, it's headed south and it's headed east. It's headed to India. I mean, it's already there. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. A, I mean, honestly, now I, my my hope for the Pentecostal movement would be that the, the global movement would now move in reverse and start to affect us in North America. Mm. Though it it did originally kind of move out of North America into the rest yeah. of the world. We kind of need reverse evangelism in that way. You know, a lot of my hope for the future of the movement, really, because what is Pentecostalism, if not this idea that, you know, the the Holy Spirit brings God's future crashing into the present, you know, so it needs to be, it needs to be an eschatological movement. It needs to be futuristic because you can't get more futuristic than the Holy Ghost. (laughs) What's more, what's more futuristic than the spirit Spirit of God from God's future coming (laughs) into our present, you know? So I, so where I hope it goes, and, and I'm cut, this is not the first thing I've thought of, but I think it's where I really want to land it. And, and it's, it's something that's really been stirring in my heart. I hope the Pentecostal movement can once again recapture the, um, that, that radical character of the early movement, not only in terms of um, the things that early Pentecostals did and believed, though I think that is important, but also that radical character of, hey, if we're people who are following the God of the Exodus, then we should mm. be a people on the move. See, I, I don't I, I don't like it that in the Pentecostal church, just like what happens for people under the Protestant Reformation, the Western Revival, whatever, you you have some moment in the past that you glorify yep. and you're trying to get back to it. That's always fundamentalism. Yes, I don't care right. what revival you point to. Yep. I don't if the glory days are in the past, it's fundamentalism. Yeah. You know, what Pentecostalism <laughs> is supposed to be about is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what I'm hoping is that once again there'll be that kind of openness yeah. to what's the Holy Spirit saying now? How might God be moving once again in a way? that would challenge our categories. It might even challenge things that we've come to cherish and treasure within the movement. Uh, I think instead of just sort of glorifying the early revolutionaries, we, I would love to see us recapture something of their spirit that whatever God says, whatever God is doing, if it's, of course, we're gonna discern within community and we're gonna talk about it and we're gonna wrangle with scripture and all those kind of things. But if we see God doing it now, yeah. then even if it has, means moving away from some things that we've held sacred, yeah. we're willing to do that because that's what it means to be a people who follow the Holy Spirit. So I wanna see that kind of revolutionary character. So and it's our mate Carlos Rodriguez, the word that he had from his, uh, a former mentor that said there will come a day when, um, Jonah, do you, do you have, like, a, I'm searching for the words that, that he uses. Um, yeah. But he said, the day, he said the time's going to come when you're going to tell me about the next move of God. I'm going to tell you it's not God. And when I say it's not God, it is God. Keep going. <laughs> That's a word. <laughs> that is That's a word. A word. <laughs> Can you imagine the apostles in Acts 2 going, oh, let's look back to the glory days of Israel. We need a move right. of God like that again. Yeah, well, we need a, yeah. like, it's not what's going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. And we need to be able to look forward and realize the only place that Christ approaches us from yeah. is from that future that he is 
inviting us into. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like it's it's a the space to be humble and allow God to be God and encounter yeah. us in a way that maybe transcends the boxes that we have put him in. Yes. Totally. Yes, totally. But transcends in a way where we're not left with fancy ideas to discuss on podcasts, but our sleeves are rolled up and yep. we, like those early women in Australia, those Pentecostal leaders, are found in the places, inviting in the people that everybody else has no time for. That's right. That's the Pentecostalism I want to do. With. That's right. That's right. That's so good. Thank you for listening today. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to become a patron of this podcast and help keep it alive, go to patreon.com slash man, and we would appreciate your love and support. Now remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast can help you come to find the love that calls you by your true name. God bless.